0: this time, Ron Wilhoit, or Ron W., as I like to call him, will come with a split sermon, take hold of my covenant. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you, as always, especially after this last week. You know, I had one of those dreams last night. You ever had one of those dreams? The dream I'm talking about is... Uh, The kind of dream that you have to when you 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 wake up from the dream and you go hey what am i doing here in bed when i should be back there one of those really early morning very vivid and very real dreams and the dream i'll tell you a little bit about it i know you want to know some of you most of you some of you half of you have been to the Fellowship Church of God in Oklahoma City. You've seen the building, the size of the building. We were all there, but it was about 10 times as big, maybe. Exact layout, scaled times 10. This is like the 18th year this week of speaking. So 18 years has gone by, and I've been thinking about 18 years of speaking Looking at a lot of the old notes and certain things, I don't know if it influenced some of my sleeping thoughts. So I was in the back in this dream trying to get ready to go speak, and I was still trying to get dressed. And I was clothed, okay? But I mean, just those final touches of making sure that tie on and it's collars right and the jacket's on, so I'm doing all of this. But the thing is is that I was already miked. Rick had already mic'd me up, so I'm mic'd up trying to get dressed. And so, in this kind of strange situation, I just kind of said, while getting dressed, I said, how excited are you to be here and feel that you are in the family of God? And I said, if you don't feel this way, how is that going to translate at the resurrection? So, isn't it wonderful to be in that family of God? Seeking him. Seeking to know him. Seeking to do his will. It's the family that Messiah talked about. It's doing the will of the Father. And it was just so real that I thought, what am I doing here in bed and I'm not there? So, years ago, there was a certain commercial that came out i don 't know which that 's what 's making that little cricket there was a certain commercial that came out advertising a certain burger hamburger okay, and they were very proud of this burger, I think, because of its enormity. I think they called it the big boy, the big burger i don 't really remember who it was that uh was trying to sell the burger. But what I distinctly remember about the burger, and I think I talked about it here at one time, was that there was the burger on the commercial, bottom bun, bit of lettuce, patty, and condiments. And then of course what did the burger have to have on top before the top bun went on? Usually layered like this. And, you know, people are saying, and, and, yeah, that's a burger, right? But then the burger started to go up. And the slogan, the catchphrase for the burger was, is that this burger was big enough for the big guy. And I might have been eating something, but if I had have been, it went in the floor. <laughs> because this particular one, with his lovely lattice of these strips of bacon, was big enough for the big guy. Well, we know that, you might not know, but there was a certain commercial that came out around Independence Day that caused a little bit of a stir, Well, 30 second commercial that I wanna play in case you, you haven't seen it. I hadn't seen it. I'd heard a little bit of commotion about it, but then thought it might be interesting just to watch it for 30 seconds. Why name a beer after Samuel Adams? Because Samuel Adams signed the Declaration of Independence. He believed there was a better way to live. All men are created equal. They are endowed with certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Smooth, flavorful. We bow to no kings. Samuel Adams Boston Lager, declare your... Nets. So, of course, what was, the, what was the controversy about? What was missing? True. What, what's written on the document? What's written on the document? But see, beer governance, you, you can't do that. You know, beer governance, alcohol governance, all of these things say you cannot advertise and promote religious themes, and the creator is a religious theme. But what happens is, in this situation, is that we've elevated a brand... by bypassing the Creator and the very man who felt that way about the Creator. And we have that great document right here, written by them, signed by them, this declaration, this great document. But really more importantly, what we have first in these documents, you know, you have a facsimile of what was hand-signed, okay? now used as merchandising in this capacity to elevate a brand. But think about the first document on the wall. And that's what we have, what has been personally written by the very finger of God. It's a document, but it's a document based on Exodus 31.18. So as you look at Exodus 31.18, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because it says that it's two tables of testimony. It's two tables of testimony, tables of stone. And this is so incredible just to think about it. Written by the very finger of God. And it's a two witness verse, one in Exodus and one in Deuteronomy. So we think about the things that men have signed influenced by providence, influenced by divine guidance or the things that men have written without any influence at all. But when you actually stop to think about the very fact that we have words, statements, commandments, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written by the very finger of the Creator, it demands all of our attention. Now, when you do a search, and it surprised me, I had a couple of people do a little search, the two-word phrase, Ten Commandments, very familiar with it, Ten Commandments. You would think that throughout the Torah, throughout the prophets, and throughout the Psalms, and throughout Scripture, you would find Ten Commandments, what peppered generously throughout the Scripture, but you've got three. You've got three. It's a threefold cord, one found in Exodus and two found in Deuteronomy. And it says that he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant. The words of the covenant, okay? The 10 commandments. But in them It's in them contained within the 10 commandments contained within what he chose to write. With what he chose to give as his testimony to be placed within the ark. And have the mercy seat atop that and him between upon the mercy seat. But atop these ten commandments that he wrote with his very finger within them. What does it say about him? Men have written many things about God and what God means to them and what God has done for them in their lives and what God should do and what God shouldn't do and how He is and isn't. We look at our Bibles, we look at Scripture, and how many times in Scripture does it say the Word of the Lord came to. But when you have words that He wrote with His very finger, it's different the magnitude of the words that he wrote with his very finger. And I think about the way that he introduced himself. I'm going to pass around a couple things. Chuck, take a look at this and then pass it around. Then let's not forget this middle section. But what this is, after Lawrence's sermon last week, when he went through... About this incredible nation and and the word of liberty I was thinking about all week. And liberty is found on many things in this country. And what I've got there is an old Franklin half. The old Franklin half dollar. What I call a real half dollar. Okay? From 1949. And so, right above Franklin is what? It's the word liberty, as you will see. But what's on the back of the liberty half? It's the liberty bell. And like Lawrence brought out last Sabbath, what's on the Liberty Bell? Leviticus. So it's a beautiful coin. I want you to take a look at it as it comes around. And it got me to thinking about how God introduces himself in these ten that he wrote with his very finger. As we look at Exodus 20, verse 1, he says, And God spake all these words. As we go to verse 2. I, the Almighty, thy God. It's me, he's saying. Have brought you out. I've brought you out. So I got to thinking about this. I am that I am. He's our liberator. He is our liberator. And I think of liberty. Liberty and I think of the Liberty Bell but you know what he is Liberty the eternal Almighty God is Liberty the eternal Almighty God our Father is release it's release from everything everything that would seek to put us in bondage he is the liberator I am that I am the liberator to me and it just it was very resounding in my mind to see that the founders put on the bell of Liberty beautiful words of of Leviticus and then how much Liberty means to this great country but knowing the fact that it isn't a country and it isn't coinage and it isn't symbolism it's our very God and father that he is our liberator and he is incredible Liberty Then, of course, throughout the Ten Commandments, he continues to say, You have no other gods. I'm the liberator. What are you doing? Have no other gods. Don't make graven images of anything that you see. Certainly don't bow down to them. Definitely do not serve them. And he tells you why. I am a jealous God. He's a jealous God. The liberating Father is jealous over who he has liberated. You feel as though you've been liberated by your Father? As He is the release and He is liberty. He's jealous over you. Even if look at Exodus 34, 14, it's an incredible verse. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord whose name is jealous. He says, his name is jealous over each one of you that he has liberated. If you were liberated, do you realize how much love that he has for you to proclaim that he's jealous over you and that with his very finger he's written out for each one of us on stone and in here the magnitude of his love for each one of us? Continuing back in Exodus 20, it says, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God-haters. If you hate God, you hate liberty. If you hate God, you hate release, and you'll seek to find it in ways that it will never come. He is the liberator. He is liberty. But It's Exodus 20 and verse 6 that I want to look at today. Exodus 20 and verse 6. After he introduces himself in these finger written words, that he's the one. He is the one. In all things, he is the one. He says, in showing mercy, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. To thousands. Shemar Mitzvah, keep my commandments. Loving God and being shown His mercy is this incredible divine prescription. Loving God and being shown mercy, this incredible divine prescription by what was written by His very finger. He wrote that for each one of us. To show Him love and be shown His mercy. It can't be any more personal than that. The mercy of God is that covering. The mercy of God is His favor. The mercy of God is the refuge of His presence. It's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. It's the refuge, and we pray for that constantly. But you know, it seems like a simple question. How do we love God? I've asked a few people that this week, and they kind of start to say something, but they go, oh, well, it's kind of difficult. That's what he wrote. He wrote that. He says, okay, if you're liberated, it's because of me. If you love me, I'm going to show you my mercy, right? But notice, in showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. But here's the question that I want you to think about. To be shown his mercy, how do we love God? Okay, Messiah said, Jesus, as we're gathered here on the Sabbath, Jesus' words, witnessed by John, he said, if you love me, If you love me, keep my commandments, right? Jesus said that. John witnessed that. There you go. And we have Messiah Jesus inspired words of John, where John wrote in 1 John, he said, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is it. And his commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous. They do not put you in bondage. But they're liberating because they've been given by the one who has liberated each one of us to now love him and be shown the greatest thing that you could ever experience in this tabernacle is his mercy. But look at Exodus 20, verse 6. The finger of God, look how he positioned the wording of this. And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and, and keep my commandments. So let's raise the question of how do we love him and keep his commandments. He wrote it. Just looking at it. We're hearing him speak today by looking at what he wrote. How do we love Him and keep His commandments? Because I think of Jesus in the testimony given to Luke when He said, When you shall have done all those things that have been commanded of you, when you've, you've done it all, you have to say to yourself you're an unprofitable servant because you've only done what your duty is. How do we love Him and keep His commandments? To love God and keep His commandments. We must actively must dynamically, and it has to be intentional to adhere to and to exist by what was written by his finger in stone and in our hearts and in our minds, and it's in his words that he wrote, it's to have nothing before him, and Curtis Whiteley talked about that in detail last Sabbath. So love God, and to keep His commandments, we must have nothing before Him. Absolutely nothing before Him. Now when we look at David, whose name from the Hebrew comes from Dod, meaning love, beloved, or loved one. We know that in Psalm 19, he said that the law, the Torah of the Lord, the law of God is perfect. And then he continues by saying, converting the soul and then when we read in Psalm 119 we understand that his Torah teaching his instructions his words his law his liberating instruction is something to be loved and our constant meditation now if David was a man after God's own heart Don't you think we could safely conclude that he loved him? It's all throughout his writings. But there's a situation from his life that really convinces us and convicts us and edifies us not because what he wrote that we have, but the words that came out of his mouth that we have recorded in conversation. After Jerusalem was taken by David. Do you remember what his goal, his desire, that once he had control of Zion, the city of David, his desire was to do what? It was to bring the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, into Jerusalem and into the little tabernacle tent that he had pitched for it. The tabernacle at the time was at the house of Abinadab. And he had two sons, Uzzah and Ahio, the two sons. So they went to retrieve the ark from Abinadab's house, which was up on a hill, Scripture says. And the two sons were accompanying also. Now there was a huge assortment, thousands with David, joyous and rejoicing to bring the ark from there into Jerusalem. The ox cart, nay, it was a new cart. It was a new cart. But nevertheless, the oxen stumbled. And what did Uzzah do? Whoa! And what happened to him? He was killed. There's David and all the Israelites in joyous, just rapturous joy over bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Uzzah just steadies it upon the cart and he dies. Scripture says David was two things. He was angry and he was also afraid. He was afraid because how will I ever have the ark of God come to me? Well, then he didn't move it. They put it in Obed-Edom's house for three months. So there in Obed-Edom's house, a report comes back to David that Obed-Edom's household is being blessed by the ark. Well, maybe we'll go get it. But you see, it it was retrieved and it was brought forth from Obad edoms house as prescribed. It says, those that bear the ark, every six paces, sacrifice was offered. And then scripture says something quite amazing about David. It says that David danced with all of his might before God that day. I would imagine David was one you wouldn't want to tangle with. Strong man. And to think of him dancing at this situation with all of his might. Must have been something to behold. And it was beheld by all of those that he was now ruling over. And it was beheld by who? His wife, Saul's daughter, which said, I despise him in my heart. Because it says that she saw him whirling and leaping. So here's David, dancing with all of his might, leaping and whirling. They get it placed, David offers provisions, gives them a cake, gives them some meat, maybe a little wine and says, eternal God be with you, blesses the people and then he comes into his own household to bless his household. How do you think David felt this day? Second attempt to bring it, knowing what happened on the first, three months goes by, he's got it to where he wants it. He comes to his very household and who meets him? Saul's daughter. So look at 2 Samuel 6. Remembering that if you're leaping and dancing with all of your might, leaping and whirling, probably tired, maybe a little sweaty. It's very physical. It's very physical, you know. I mean, excited. You ever get excited? Just kind of, you know. David was excited. As we look at second Samuel 6 verse 20, I can only think of David in just six feet off the ground, seven, eight, ten, I don't know. but just elated. Second Samuel 6 verse 20 says, "Then David returned to bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, "How glorious was the king of Israel today?" Wow. Who uncovered himself. Who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Probably not the response he wanted from his wife. A wife that it took him a little extra effort to get, remember? Notice what David says. Continuing in the King James. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before your father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. It's all about him. So focused on God that it was all done with all of his might over what God had done for him, what God was doing through him, and what God was allowing him to understand about him. But I want to shift to the New King James. Because I think it reads just a little better. This is the point I want you to get about David. Where would we be without his psalms? Where would we be without David? But I love the way this is written here. In the New King James. After he's danced with all of his might. Leaping and whirling, he comes home wanting, rejoicing, but being somewhat ridiculed in his wife. He says, therefore, I will play before the eternal. But notice verse 22, and he says, and I will be even more undignified than this. Do you think that's something? I'll be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. my favorite comment about this scripture thought about this scripture countless times of what he's actually saying what he did was out in front of everybody right because this was a big deal to bring the ark of god second attempt six paces stop sacrifice six paces stop sacrifice six paces stop sacrifice carry right it finally gets to the place he wants it, with all of his might, to be told that, and he responds this way, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. The comment I want to read just it really makes you think about David. Concerning this verse, it says David did not care if anyone thought him undignified because of the unbridled way. He demonstrated his love for God. And that's really a great way to put that. Dancing with all of your might. Leaping and whirling. That's pretty unbridled. But he says, you know, I'll be even more undignified than this. So the thing is, we can't let some sort of persona, some sort of dignity, some sort of falseness get in the way of showing how we love God. Which is beyond just keeping the commandments. It's loving God. Keeping and obeying his commandments will be a result of being consumed by the things of God as he was. Can you imagine the zeal that David presented to Jerusalem that day in front of all of the people as he danced with all of his might? But can you think of the zeal that Jesus displayed? with all of his might, as he cleaned house at the temple of merchandising Canaanite money changers. The zeal of Jesus. And it was written in, in John, that he, the scriptures, the disciples were reminded of that scripture. It says, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. Just consumed by the things of God. It's not going to be a den of thieves. It's going to be what a house of prayer a house of prayer consumed by the things of God having nothing before him having nothing before him but it's then embracing wrapping your arms wrapping your heart wrapping your mind embracing everything that he offers and everything that he offers is contained in a beautiful word and that word is covenant the covenant father I'm going to close. So much more to say, though. I'm going to go ahead and close in Isaiah 56. It's a beautiful bit of scripture that the title for the message comes from. Isaiah 56 in verse 1 says, Thus saith the Lord. Okay, are we listening? Do we have ears to hear? When you see thus, saith the Lord. I want to be perked. I want to be aware. I want to be alert. I want to be cognizant, conscious. I want my full attention on this. He says, keep you judgment and do justice for my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. And then there's that word, blessed. That's how Ken Barton speaks to people. Bless you. God bless you. May he bless you. How much did Jesus talk about blessed is? Blessed is. Blessed is. It's the merciful condition of showing love and being shown. Mercy results in blessed and said, blessed is the man that does this and the son of man that lays hold on it. Remember all those years ago that our pastor, Lawrence Gregory, said, Rick, come up here. Rick came up here, and Lawrence laid hold on him. That's the visual that I've got, is he laid hold of him. And it's what Isaiah says to do with God. We lay hold on it. And then he follows it up with what? It keeps the Sabbath. You lay hold on him keep the Sabbath. You keep the Sabbath from polluting it and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Here we go again. For thus says the Lord, Unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths. And choose the things that please me. But here it is. take hold of my covenant that's it just like Lawrence grabbed Rick I want to take hold and I want to embrace God you know with all my might like oh yeah God offers some stuff yeah give me a little no sir no ma'am I want to take hold of that covenant and I want to lay hold on him I want to love him I want to keep his commandments I want to please him So we continue, it says, Even unto them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. A better name than sons and daughters. A better name than the son or daughter of God Almighty. A better name. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Almighty. To be his servants, everyone that what? Are we noticing a pattern? Everyone that what? Keeps the Sabbath. And there it is again. Take holds of my covenant. Takes hold of my covenant. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. See, that ties back into the zeal of Jesus, doesn't it? The house of prayer. But notice this last bit. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted on my altar. How I love this, for my house should be called a house of prayer for all people. For all people, but think about what was repeated, 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 and repeated before he got to the fact that it's for all people. Like they say, you do the math. Incredible bit of scripture. Joshua adds something else to this and says you have to cleave unto him. Cleave unto him. It takes effort. But it doesn't take effort out of, I guess I've got to do this. It's effort out of zeal. It's the effort that's born out of zeal. If the house and the things of God has electrified us and we are consumed with the things of God, it will be there to cleave to him. All right, as I close... Like I said, there's so much more to say, so much more to talk about in all of this. But you know what, brethren, in two months, you know what happens two months? Two months from right now. It's a day of atonement. Two months. Well within the fall Moed appointments. In two months. So let us continue to serve him with nothing before him. Serve Him with nothing before Him. Let us love Him and keep His commandments. And let us cleave to Him, as Joshua instructs. Cleave to Him. And as we read in Isaiah, let's take hold of His covenant.